Hey, what's up, TFC Tribe? Welcome to episode three of the TFC Audio Project Down Under. This week, we're talking all about the concept of movement nutrition. So what it is, why it's such an important concept in rehab and in health in general, why so many of us don't get enough movement nutrients, and simple steps that you can take at home, in the office, and outdoors to have a more nutritious movement diet. This week's episode is sponsored by TFC Events. Connect through movement and play at one of our in-person workshops with a focus on simple, powerful methods for improving foot function, mobility, and balance, all while having lots of fun. These are the perfect way to dip your toe into the barefoot life. The first for 2021 will be held in Brisbane on February 27. There's some details in our show notes on that. And if you can't make that one, we'll be coming to a city near you soon enough. And if you're keen to host, we'll also run private workshops. So get in touch. All right, you're back with James and Mac. And today we're talking all about nutritious movement or movement nutrition. Do you want to give a bit of an explanation of, of what that concept is? Absolutely. So this is actually one of my favorite concepts in the world, probably. It was very <laughs> paradigm shifting for me when I first read about it. And that was in my first year as a physiotherapist, actually. And I was working in quite a, I guess, a manual therapy focused job um, and started reading this book by Katie Bowman called Move Your DNA. And up until then, obviously, I was very interested in movement and, you know, studied a lot about the human body and the physiology and, and all of that and, and anatomy. And when I read the book, it was still so, the way she explains things is so accessible and just makes so much sense that it was like, oh, really, I get movement Join a lot deeper now. Yeah. yeah, so the concept is that movement is literally or does act like a nutrient in our body. And it's sort of an analogy, but it also is pretty much literally true uh, because there is a process called mechanotransduction, which is basically the conversion of mechanical or physical stimulus into from you know internal or external sources so from muscles inside for example or from you know the ground or something from the external world it's the conversion of that physical stimulus into biochemical processes within the cells so you know obviously the cells make up our tissues which make up our organs which make up our whole body and katie talks about the fact that there's trillions of cells all working together in this interconnected way and that they're, they're all these little tiny bodies that are being shaped by the movement and loads they're exposed to. And then obviously because they're all interconnected, then it sh- that movement and load shapes our, our sort of macro whole body. How did that change for you then, how you'd seen it before? I mean, what, what was this sort of missing piece that made that all fit together? How did you you see the body in the way movement worked? To- uh, I guess I just understood it more on the level... Like up until then, I was always on the mindset of like movement patterns and posture and, you know, you know, this is good movement and this is sort of, you know, maybe bad movement or whatever. Whereas it was like a deep... It was an understanding of the deeper need for it yeah it was yeah the deeper need from a on a cellular level and Mm. and really what it means on a cellular level and and also which 
really opened my eyes to the whole concept of movement behavior because up until then, I suppose, in the in the physio job, we were addressing certain symptoms with manual therapy and we could make people feel so much better. We could relieve a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of, um, yeah, like quote-unquote dysfunction, stiffness, mm. tightness through manual therapy. And, you know, they had a particularly effective manual therapy approach, which which we could get amazing gains with. But I realized that unless someone really addressed their movement behavior and their environment, then they would continue either having the same issue or they would have different issues that pop up as a symptom of that movement behavior or a lack of nutritious movement. I guess looking as a practitioner at potential patients, it would have changed how you saw how you could help them, but did it change how you saw yourself and the way you moved and and the lifestyle that you were living? 100%. I think, funnily enough, before that, I had already adopted this more nutritious movement concept um, because in when I was studying physiotherapy, I started to get into um, like a, a, a proper movement practice. Like I think it was first year, yeah, first year uni. Up until then, I'd sort of played sports and I'd exercised, but I actually started to get more intentional with my practice and started working through some like Ido Portals kind of animal locomotive stuff and GMB and getting into some more gymnastics, calisthenics work and things like that. So I was getting more intentional with my practice and I actually realized that I was studying and learning about the body and all the things that can go wrong with the body while also sitting down and <laughs> sort of doing the wrong, the exact wrong thing for my body. And I realized how stiff I was and how I couldn't get down into a deep squat. And I just started to utilize those positions a lot more and then reading katie bowman's book i was like oh it, it makes this is why a whole I feel lot like more I sense this. yeah 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 it's like you always knew you just needed it to be disseminated exactly yeah and so with that so i guess it is pretty obvious when it comes to the musculoskeletal system of you know why it would need movement so a really cool example of how movement acts like a nutrient in the body is say with muscle mass and bone density so say you go on bed rest or you go out of space for x amount of time then you know or a matter of weeks then your bone density and your muscle mass will decrease regardless of how much um, protein or minerals you know calcium whatever whatever you eat doesn't really matter because the the nutrient that the body needs for bone density and muscle mass is movement Movement. or it's a very it's a critical nutrient Mm. and so that is like that's an obvious example or a more obvious one but every single system in our body does require movement in order to function optimally in the long term so when you're looking at neurological cardiovascular respiratory lymphatic so waste clearing systems um, all of these systems do rely on movement in order to work properly, basically. And when you, this is why we see in the research that sedentarism is sedentary behavior is so such a big risk factor for all these mm. chronic diseases in all of these different systems, because people are essentially starved of movement. Yeah, and that variety of movement as well. Yeah, and and she does talk about the fact that you know just like with food, we all know that with food, then we need uh, the right sort of quantity quality and variety of food so you want to obviously have enough calories and a lot enough 
um, macronutrients to support your body. You want a good quality of food. You can't just be eating Snickers bars all day to get your, your macros. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and the same with movement, I guess. And the same with movement and, and variety as well. So you can't just be, you know, even if it was a good quality food, say chicken or, you know, or mm. some kind of vegetable, carrots or something like that. If it, was an, if it was the best quality, but if you're only eating that, you're still going to end up deficient in something else. Something else, yeah, of course. So having that, I just really liked that analogy of like, it makes so much sense with food. Why, why is that not really well known? Translated. Yeah, 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 of course. Because in the, in the fitness world these days, then it's a lot of people are just having one type of, of movement or one type of exercise. Yeah. So, and they're going from sedentarism straight into that one movement and then back to their sedentary ways. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's where this mismatch happens because in a, in a natural environment or in a, uh, as we evolved basically and for the bulk of our evolution I should say then natural movement provided that optimal nutrient uh, nutritious movement profile um, just as a matter of course like we didn't have an, another, another option that's what we had to do yeah to move exactly we sit around or we'd get eaten or yeah we, we wouldn't have food to eat because we were sitting around 100 percent. and so you know whether it's through play as kids when we're learning to move then obviously kids are just moving all day because they want to they want to figure out how to do this how to do that in a natural context they're moving all day um, either playing or helping out with their parents and then as they grow into adults, then yeah, it's a matter of survival. You've got to escape predators, you've got to build shelters, you've got to yeah, find food, forage, hunt, and so on, build tools. Like you're just moving all day. It might not be intense, you know, intense sprinting all day, but it's frequent variable movement. And the key with that type of movement was how varied it was. It was climbing, it was running, it was jumping, yeah. throwing, um, squatting. Uh, you know, yeah, wrestling, mm. dancing, you know, there's all these different types of movement that was always happening. And out it, of necessity, it, not out of... Yeah, not choice. out of choice or not out of like, oh, I should move because it's healthy. It's just it's just a matter of course. They weren't and, looking at their Fitbit thinking, oh, I've <laughs> got to get that 10,000 steps. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so we'll, we'll talk about natural movement in a whole podcast. Uh, I think that's next week, actually, which is exciting because I do love that concept as well. Um, but basically, as we, I guess, as human culture modern, modernized, then uh, we started to outsource a lot of our movement to other animals or other humans, um, animals and technology. And that is driven by the... And a need for energy conservation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So inherently we want to conserve energy because food is scarce so yeah natural sort of natural or like um ancestral humans didn't have an issue with movement nutrition but they had a an issue bigger with- issue with actual nutrition yeah because food was uh harder to come by yeah, yeah. it's harder to come by you just got to do more to find more food we, do, we have it very easy at, uh, these days but um and so i guess as society developed and that food became easier to get, we still had been working towards this energy consumption model. Yeah. Well, it's just inherent within us. We don't do stuff unless we have to pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yes, maybe we got more efficient by outsourcing those things, but our bodies and our genes 
aren't built for that outsourcing. <laughs> they're, they're, our genes expect constant, frequent, variable movement. And when they don't get that, like I said, it's, sed- it's sedentarism, which is major, major risk factor for all chronic diseases. Um, cancer, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, obesity, and obviously chronic musculoskeletal pain and pretty much anything else. Uh, often, like the biggest risk factors are chronic stress, chronic inflammation, and sedentary behavior. So, And how do people answer that these days? I mean, people sit at the office all day and then they get to six o'clock or they, they start their day with a session at the gym and it's an hour of activity. Yep, if they're lucky. <laughs> if they're lucky. And it's a certain type of activity uh, and then into sitting or... Yeah, back into sitting pretty much. Yeah, so we, that's sort of led a new, a new term called active sedentarism and that is where people are sedentary for the vast majority of their day because of their job and, and just our culture and our environments tend to promote sedentary behavior. Mm. And so they're sedentary for most of the day and then, yeah, they go and do their exercise. And so exercise has become essentially the supplement for the nutritious movement diet that we would be getting. So we've realized... The vitamins we're taking to try and supplement the bad stuff we're eating. Exactly. It's like basically, it's like starving yourself and then going, all right, I'm going to have, yeah, some vitamin C tablets or, you know, maybe even, yeah, I'm going to have a little bit of a little bit of carrots or a little bit of um, chicken or something like that. But that isn't enough, essentially. And the research clearly shows that you can't um, outdo a sedentary day with, or you can't make up for a sedentary day with an hour of exercise. You still have the effects of that uh, sedentarism. It's it's funny because it is such a simple concept. and, And when it's explained like that, it does just make sense. But do you think a lot of it comes down to society wanting to think that they can get away with that? I mean, the way that our lifestyles have been built, a lot of people feel like they don't have the opportunity or probably they do, but they have been told that mm, 15 minutes every, you know, 15 minutes of exercise here, 15 minutes of exercise there, or make sure you go get your 30 minutes. I mean, there's been heaps of messages over the years of what you need to get and this is enough and, and people, once you give them that that attainable, okay, well, I only have to work out for 30 or 60 minutes a day, then they feel like that's enough and they've they've sort of had the wool pulled over their eyes a bit. Yeah, they sort of... Yeah, that's an interesting point. The guidelines, all the guidelines are like, yes, they're promoting activity and they're like, you need to get at least 30 minutes a day and five days a week. And and they do promote a bit of variability, like you should have some low intensity, some high intensity and so on. And that is in that effort because there was so much research coming out about sedentarism. They're like, wow, we can't just be sedentary. We We have to get people moving in some way. And it's interesting that the culture has developed so to be so sedentary and, and all our environments are so sedentarism promoting, I suppose, mm. that, you know, they don't want to go, oh, now you, everyone has to move all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and freak people out. Because <laughs> then people are like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. And people are already on the rat wheel of, you know, stress and they've got different, um, yeah, different responsibilities and they're already sort of having a hard time finding the time for all of the different things they want to do. And exactly. So I guess this also comes into the sort of work versus play 
model like is exercise or movement a chore that you should do or is it something that you enjoy that is yeah intrinsically motivating that you get something uh, and you get meaning out of and that's what we explored in the last podcast so if you haven't listened to that then i'd recommend go back going back and listening to it um but yeah it when it comes down to it each hour uh, really does matter and an interesting little stat that i was reading this morning as well is that uh, a study found that men who reported being in a car for more than 10 hours per week had an 82 percent greater risk of cardiovascular disease mortality so they were high you know much more likely to die from cardiovascular de- disease uh, compared to men who reported fewer than four hours per week so it's a massive hike that's, that's huge, a huge, hike. huge increase. And that's just, and that's not accounting for you know how much activity they did. It's just literally hours of sedentarism, and so, um, you know, there's there's that sort of glo- more global look of it. It's like how much time you're spending sitting versus moving, mm. and then there's more uh, a local areas of sedentarism, which this hit me really hard as well with Katie, and I, it's something mm. that doesn't get talked about as much, but made a lot of sense to me when I was when I was reading it and it's the fact that say even if someone was very active all day say they walked they were walking all day they had a treadmill desk you know a standing desk and um they went for walks very you know every hour and they went for a run and they did a lot of squatting and you know etc they could still develop local areas in their body that are sedentary so if they're doing all that stuff, but they're not doing anything with their upper body, they're not doing any overhead work, then their shoulders are sedentary or, you know, quite sedentary, especially into certain ranges of motion. So then what would happen to their shoulders? They would get stiffer, weaker, tighter, and they would be able to do less stuff with their shoulders. And then maybe if they tried to do something with them, they might develop an injury. They're more likely to develop an injury or pain. And... Another very common example is feet. And this is why yeah, of course. we're so on that sort of barefoot train or that, minim- or that natural footwear train is because feet, for the, lo- for the most part, are in a sedentary environment all day. They're locked in. Yeah. They're, they're just shoved into these shoes that are not foot-shaped mm. and rigid and cushioned and healed and that completely disrupt the natural movement of the foot. And we wonder why our feet get tight and stiff and weak and painful (laughs) because they're just not moving all day. And even if you're active, even if you're out um, running, walking, squatting and so on, if you're wearing these big air bubbles and these rigid shoes, then... That are hiding them from the... Yeah, yeah, your feet aren't getting all of the joints. There's 26 bones, 33 joints and four layers of muscle in each foot. That's a whole heap of hardware. The only reason for that hardware to exist, the only reason for a joint to exist is for movement. And so if there's 33 joints in each foot, they all need to move in some way. And and they're not sort of big movements like elbow movements, but they're little accessory movements and glides between all the tarsal joints and and you know the ankle and the um, the big toe, like they need movement. It's not like big movements. It's a bit like going to the gym and wearing a Michelin man suit. Mm. Yeah, being covered in bubble wrap and and not being able to move. Yeah, it's not getting the exposure that it needs. Exactly, and so that's a really really important thing because not only do we care about yeah global activity or movement, but local movement and 
there can be areas of dysfunction or stiffness or sedentarism that actually become the weakest link in your chain. So if your feet are very sedentary, then suddenly your performance is going to suffer at everything else you do that is on your feet. <laughs> yeah, of course. So what, what do you then say to someone who I guess is, is new to this concept and wants to look at their own movement nutrition and, and work out A, where they're at and then B, where they need to get to? I mean, how do they, how do they paint a picture for, for, for what their movement nutrition looks like now and what it should look like. Yeah, because it, it can get a little overwhelming because it's like, what? I need okay, to, now I need to be doing everything all at the same time and to, I'm not able to sit around at all. And yeah, like they've, yeah, people, you feel really guilty for sitting and you're worrying, you know, I've, I've got to be moving all day. And um, yeah, like it just seems undoable. It's like, no, I yeah. sit for my job. I do this, I do this. But it's just good at first to just take a, a bird's eye view, an objective look at what your, say, like your movement nutrient profile is like. And the way you do that, you can just have a look at roughly calculate how many hours a day you spend sitting. And it's for most people, it's a lot more than they first think. It's a scary figure. Because yeah. you get out of bed, um, you know, you maybe do a little bit of exercise in the morning, but then it's you generally it's sitting down to do emails or sitting down to eat and then jump in the car, jump in the car, sit for however long it takes you to jump to in get traffic, there, in yeah. traffic or, you know, on the bus or on the train and or on a bike is still sitting. It's not fully sedentary, but it's in that sort of seat, um, hip the flexion position. Yeah. So that's a, a local sedentarism thing. And then... You get to the um, office. Get to the office. Generally, you sit in the office and then you drive home and then you sit to eat dinner and then you, you'll you know, sit, sit on to the watch couch. TV and then, or read or whatever, and then you go to bed. And suddenly you've developed, you've uh, accumulated 12 hours of sitting or like, you know, eight, if not eight, more, 10, 12 yeah. more hours of sitting in your day. And you it's had just that one window maybe where yeah. you went for your run or your walk or yeah. you went to the gym. And so it's just, it is good. It can be confronting, but it's very good to have that objective look at, okay, I am spending, look, I'm spending 10 hours sitting a day. And contrast that to what you are actually spending moving. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, how many hours a day are you spending moving? And now moving doesn't necessarily mean exercising per se. It doesn't have to be that intense, like going to the gym or going for a run. Moving can literally be, like changing positions. So for instance, ground sitting is very different to sitting in a chair because when you're sitting on the ground, you're getting very uh, very frequent signals to move and change positions. So we're on the ground recording this podcast right now and we've both changed positions at least 10 times. Mm-hmm. And that means, and you can also see if you're in the, watching on the video, then our feet and ankles are in different positions. Our hips are getting into rotation and flexion and um, it, it's very different to just being in a locked 90 degree hip flexion position. We're getting a whole heap of um, body parts moving in ways that they wouldn't and the body's, at, at all. And the body's doing that for us. I mean, yeah, there is an active part to it, yes, but a lot of the time you're moving because you get uncomfortable in one position and so you move to the next. Yeah. And it's part- being aware of that, I suppose, 
when you need to move. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. Tuning into your body's signals and going, all right, that's getting a little uncomfortable now. And then having a repertoire or a, um, a library of different sitting positions exactly. that you can adopt is also great because you go, oh, that's, this one's getting uncomfortable. I'll change to that one. And you can also go, oh, I really like the way that that 90-90 position feels, which we're both in now, mm. because it gets you know one hip into internal rotation, one hip into external, and it just feels nice. And so you start to figure out different um, positions that you can move into and out of. And so that's that's also counts as movement. So we'll just say we could pretty much define movement as not sitting in a chair. Yeah. Because you'll be changing positions. And I feel like, you know, a lot of people go to standing desks, but if you if you're standing completely still, especially in high heels or dress shoes, that's still not going to be that great. But at least you're you've got more of an option to move if you're standing. You've got an option to, you know, do a couple of squats quickly. You could, you know, put your foot up onto a beam or a slant board or I you guess it, once once people have that perspective shift that this movement doesn't have to be sprinting 100 meters or climbing yeah. a mountain. Yeah. It's it makes little, it more manageable. I mean, yeah. it, it it means that yeah, you can work it into your day. Movement snacks like you yeah, like you're always talking about. Yeah, snacks. Yeah, you get little snacks and you also are just getting that very low very low intensity, like almost zero intensity just um yeah, just general movement activity um so then another good thing is yeah how many different types of movement do you do just look at you know whether it's different types of exercise do you gym run swim climb you know you look at the exercise Mm. um and then obviously look at yeah how many different types of just general movements do you do like we were saying Mm. and then so take a note of all that and just don't don't judge yourself for it. It's is like we said it's a lot of it's cultural and environmental. It's you're not a bad person if you have been sedentary for a long time. That yeah. you're just normal really. Yeah. Um it's not optimal, but it's normal these days. And so yeah, don't judge yourself for for how you've been moving, your movement behaviors so far. It's just literally you have to take stock of where you're at so that you can find ways to improve. And it really isn't about changing everything at once it's tiny habits that stack up and eventually make a difference and i think the more the more you do it the more you do move the more you are more easily able to identify what needs to be worked on yes once you get more in tune with your body and and those signals you'll be like okay well my hips are stiff yeah you know or my my ankles are stiff and i need to be working on that rather than not being aware of any of it and just thinking that that's how the body's meant to feel, getting in tune with yeah. when things aren't quite right. That's a great point. And that, that reminds me of like when I would, when we first moved in, um, Mac was obviously working for the Channel 7 news team <laughs> and he would wear his RM Williams boots. And I actually, I used to wear RM Williams boots at my first job too. And I was like, getting home, my feet would be sore. And, and, and so I figured it out. I was like, I can't be wearing these boots anymore. Mm. And then I saw Mac wearing his, I was like, dude, those, those aren't great for your feet. <laughs> and, um, he was right. I was right. But it took Mac a while to tune into those signals and be like, wow, my feet shouldn't be hurting. And then once, yeah, once the penny had dropped, I couldn't unsee it and unfeel it. Every time I put my feet in those boots, yeah, it was like my feet and my toes were screaming out 
just to like, get out of it. This is not nice. Yeah. And yeah, as, as you start to spend more time on the ground, sitting in a chair starts to become less and less comfortable. It's yeah. like, oh, I don't really like this position. Like you get, I get antsy. I get like, you know, I just want to stand up or go to the ground really. Mm. And sometimes it's nice to just literally lounge on a couch and just unwind. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's all about dosage really. But you do start to tune into your the yeah the feelings and the signals that your body's getting and that's actually what i want to talk about now so once you've mapped out your movement nutrient profile mm-hmm. then you just start taking note of every musculoskeletal symptom that you have and this would include stiffness joint stiffness or muscle tightness or like that feeling of like muscle knots you mm-hmm. know those that kind of thing um like if you're if you're having to go to a massage therapist all the time or a physio or, or chiro or osteo or whatever to loosen up your joints and, and release your muscles, then that's, that's not that's a optimal. Sign. <laughs> that's yeah. a sign. Um, you know, if you, if you feel weak, like if you have trouble getting up the, a flight of stairs or, you know, that's probably not that common in, in the sort of younger populations, but you certainly do. Mm. Uh, if you're sedentary for a long time, you do lose the ability to go upstairs and even stand up out of a chair. So, uh, you know, for, are you starting to notice that you use your arms to push up out of a chair? Are you starting to notice that you do have a lot of trouble getting up and down off the ground? And it's something as simple as just getting up off the ground without using your hands. Yeah. It's a, a really good measure That's of where, a great where measure. you're at. And people, some people do look at you when you're able to get up off the ground without using your hands. Like, like it's a shock. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wow. How'd you do that? And th- there's actually, Magic. A, there's actually a, a, a well-researched test called the sit and rise test where you, it, I mean, we'll link it in the show notes, but it's basically getting up and down off the ground without your hands and each, like you get a, it's a point system and each extra point of support that you have to use to get up and down is a point taken off and they've found that the people who score the worst on that uh again much higher risk of all-cause mortality so they're at much higher risk of dying from anything um and then the people in the highest who score the best uh much lower risk and so this isn't some magical like voodoo test of like oh wow he can sit and rise off the ground mm-hmm. so he's gonna survive you know but it's a an indicator of your movement nutrient profile that you've been exposed to throughout your whole life and that just goes to show what you were saying before about the impacts that sitting has on on everything exactly yeah 100 percent. so um yeah so you take note of weakness stiffness tightness and also just any pain or recurring injuries that you tend to get so if you get plantar fasciitis or um you know anterior knee pain or you um yeah, chronic lower back pain, things like that. Just just take note of it all. And I know those conditions can be very frustrating, especially if you've a lot of people like in my physio work throughout my life, then so many people would come with years of this frustrating pain that has been seen or, or diagnosed or assessed by different health practitioners and they've been given different remedies and painkillers and manual therapy and massages and you know it keeps coming back and no one's talked to them about their movement behavior or they may be giving given some isolated exercises but no one's talked to them about their global movement behavior and so um we do need to really view all of these symptoms pain tightness stiffness so on as 
almost like the equivalent of hunger signals or bloating slash reflux signals. So, what do you what do you say to someone then who feels like it's too far gone? Like someone who has spent the last thirty years, forty years sedentary and and can't get up out of a chair without pulling onto something or I mean what do you say to them to give them hope that they can build towards it is it just just really slowly slowly building up that movement again yeah it's 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 yeah a lot of it comes down to belief of I can change because that I mean if you don't have the belief that you can change then you you simply won't and you won't do the things that you need to do to change so just really trying to find a way to explain this concept of movement nutrition and of the adaptability, the inherent adaptability of the human body. There's, there is no age limit on adaptability. Yeah. Anyone can change. And it's got to come down to that belief though. They've got to have yeah. belief that they can do it. I think there's a pr- that prime example of the lady that came to the workshop at Indraprilli a couple of weeks, a uh, couple of months ago, who had orthotics in her shoes and had pretty much resigned to the fact that she would be wearing shoes for the yes. rest of her life with orthotics and had been told that she was not to take her shoes off at all costs, even even at home, to wear them. And she'd feel guilty if she spent five minutes out yeah. of her shoes. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a, a look at the local sedentarism. But because we were able to, you were able to give her that belief that... Yeah, giving them a different perspective that they didn't even know was out there. And it's like, oh, and it really does resonate with people when you say you shouldn't have to wear supportive shoes and orthotics all the time. Or braces on your or, knees. Yeah. Or, yeah, or braces on your back or, you know, you, we shouldn't have to immobilize and support an area of your body because the body has the inherent capacity to support itself. And yeah, one, it's down to that belief, but also I think a very important part of building that belief, you need almost enough belief to get that a little bit of buy-in and then what really builds the belief is gradual exposure to load and showing them that yes you can expose you can load this area in some way and we just you find the easiest progression to work on and once they've had a taste and once they see that yeah. reward that it is ever so slightly getting to where they need to get like, to. oh i can do this and it doesn't hurt okay Oh, and I can see how doing this would then over time lead to be able to do the things that I want to do. So I guess it's hope. Yeah. Belief and, and hope with, yeah. with evidence. Exactly. Yeah. And showing them, yeah, that really cementing that belief and hope with yeah, evidence exactly of their ability to adapt. And there's, in any rehab process, there's always going to be ups and downs and you might do too much. And so this is where that sort of like, yes, maybe some signals are hunger signals. So I need more movement. The, bo- the body is calling out for more movement. And some signals are more like bloating reflux signals where it's like I've had too much or I've had too much of one type of movement. So, you know, especially if, you're, if you've been starving for years and years, your stomach's probably pretty small and you, start, you, know, you suddenly chuck a huge meal and they're like, oh, I'm so hungry, I'd chuck a huge meal in. And then it's like your body's like, can't handle that it probably vomits some of it out or like yeah it just doesn't process it properly and then it gives you that that discomfort of like you just had too much we probably see it every single year when new year's resolutions come around and people say okay i'm going to get active i'm going to get healthy and they launch into this new movement practice and all of these new nutrients the body's getting and you do often hear stories from people who say oh you know 
I'm super sore or I'm they, they went and had that exercise or that workout at the gym and then the next yeah. day they're in pain and oh I did me back I did you know I did you well know. they do they injure themselves and then it's it, they're beyond they're behind where they were before you know yeah and that is it's such a frustrating thing for them to experience and and a lot of people it tends to happen more as you get older because and, and people affiliate um affiliate associate that with age and they go oh, it's just what happens when you get old like i just can't keep up with you know this stuff but what it really is is that the older you are you've had more time to be sedentary. So more time starving, which means you can handle less and less, which means you just have to be more and more gradual with what you expose yourself to. So don't judge yourself by age, but by how long you've been sitting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, literally by history. And I think that's a really important, really important topic because Mm. it's either not enough or too much. And it's a. It's not about going. Oh damn! Like really, oh, I had too much again. Oh silly, silly. It's like, okay, I had too much. I got that signal. What can I do next time? I'll just eat a bit less next time, um, or I'll try eating a different food or eating it slower. You know, often you could eat the same food and if you actually chewed it properly <laughs> and and sort of savored it and tasted it and had the right level of attention on how you ate it you'd have a different result in the body. And that's the same thing with movement. If, often if you slow it down and you pay more attention to how you're doing it, then you can change the effect that it has on the body. So th- that's a really, really key piece is just, yeah, viewing those... Your, your body isn't fighting against you. The body isn't the enemy. It's giving you signals that it wants a certain thing. It's not going to tell you exactly, but it's your job to listen to it and not to cover it up with symptom management things. Obviously, symptom management has its place in certain times and and in context, but it's your job to really listen to those signals and and go, okay, what can I change? What what variables can I play with next time to get a different result? And to just not not give up and to believe that your body is looking out for you by giving you those signals and just tuning in work together yeah in like, harmony. i remember when i had my my chronic knee pain which we'll probably uh, we'll probably delve into a bit more in a whole other episode it's it's a bit of a story in itself but it's very easy to get frustrated and depressed and 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 angry at the body it's like oh just let me move like i just want to go and play and and whatever but it, when i started really just listening and and going okay that's that's fair enough i did too much um i understand i've been i've been sort of relatively inactive for the last year or so because of this pain and it's my job to listen and and slow it down and give it the nutrients that it needs and and sometimes the nutrients that it needs do come in the form of supplements um or like specific sort of quote-unquote foods or Mm. movements that um you know strengthen local areas and so on which which does and did really help me um and it's just yeah it's it's an important thing to work with the body rather than against it because if the frustration gets the better of you then you're not going to achieve anything i mean you see it with people with with sleep as well you know people get frustrated when they don't have a good night's sleep and and they eat themselves alive because they didn't get enough hours and then they wake up and they're yeah. They're already angry about the night's sleep as well. they had before. <laughs> at some point, yeah. Whereas if you actually looked at, well, wait a second, what is actually making me not be able to get this good night's sleep? Yeah. Identifying those factors and then working towards 
that yeah and paradoxically yeah it, paradoxically it becomes a, a cycle of like oh you beat yourself up because you didn't sleep and then the stress and the anxiety exactly. and all of that actually makes you sleep worse and that's the same with movement where you know the more sedentary you are the more likely to have dysfunctions the more likely you are to have pain or you know issues with movement which will lead to fear of movement which will lead to more sedentary behavior and it, it becomes into this yeah, this negative cycle that just can spiral down and the longer time, the more time you spend in that cycle, the harder it is to get out of. But it's always possible to get out of if you address some key areas. Mm. And um, yeah, like when it, like we were talking about sleep and stress, obviously not all musculoskeletal symptoms or not all you know, body issues are going to come down to movement nutrition. There's always going to be factors, different biopsychosocial factors, uh, like stress, sleep, actual food, actual nutrition, um, and mental health. And, and all of these things will affect the way you recover and the way you adapt and, and how much inflammation is in your body and so on. And all of that will affect pain and, and musculoskeletal symptoms. But the cool thing is all of those are very interrelated and and if you solve often if you solve your movement behavior and your movement nutrient profile and this is well researched as well movement slash exercise is good for stress it's good for sleep it's good for uh, you know generally wanting to eat healthier like the more you're moving the in general it'll say in general the more likely you are to want to eat healthier um and it's and, very good for mental health. And like you said, on the flip side, better sleep means that you're able to move better. Exactly. Less stress means that you're able to sleep better. It's all interrelated. And so, again, we don't want that to sound overwhelming, like, oh, I've got to address everything. But if you start with something... You address one, then yeah. another will follow. And yeah. And it's then you about go, finding the one that, I guess, you feel like you can deal with first. Exactly. Finding one that you're like, I feel like that's going to be related to a bunch of things. Um, and especially if you're having muscular, like depending on what you're having, maybe you're having issues with anxiety or, or something and it's like, okay, I should probably work on my sleep. Um, and this I, does, I mean, it, this doesn't have to be a doctor telling you this. No. This, this is something that you can do on your own and just play with different variables. Be your own experiment and yeah, go, all right, well... I really want to resolve this issue. It could be this, this, and this contributing. I'm going to start with a tiny habit, a tiny change in this. I mean, you can start with a tiny change. It's, it's generally more sustainable. And there's a book, I'm just looking at it now, called Tiny Habits um, on a bookshelf by BJ Fogg, which is a great book. And it's all about celebrating the tiny wins because our habits are not necessarily developed by... Um, repetition they're developed by emotion and so if you really celebrate the tiny habits that you're developing and inputting then they'll become sustainable and it's the consistency of those tiny habits that actually make a a bigger change in your life Mm. and i suppose that's where we can lead into just some strategies here yeah how do you deal with it what do you do what do you do (laughs) and like we said it it can seem overwhelming of like, wow, I've got so much to change. Like, I know I'm not sleeping properly. I know I'm not moving enough and this and this and this. Um, and I think we'll, we'll just keep the topic to movement, obviously, for this one. Um, but the biggest, one of the biggest things is environmental changes mm. because 
your environment or your habitat will influence your habits. Mm, 100%. We were having this chat the other day when uh, you were reading New Old Way, hey? Mm, yeah, and it's it's an interesting way of looking at it because, again, they are, they are really interconnected. If, you've, if, if you're in an environment or a habitat that is conducive of movement, moving and i mean the room that we're sitting at the moment in our apartment has become a habitat like that we have these mats on the floor that encourage us to sit down and and to move on the ground we have beams in every corner of the room um indo boards (laughs) there's so many tools and juggling balls hanging bar outside yeah you know we've built our environment or our habitat to encourage positive habits and on the flip side if you if you have those positive habits then or you build those positive habits and, and those good habits for your movement into your daily life, then you'll be by, you know, by a result of that in a habitat that is encouraging you to, you to live that way. Exactly. Yeah. And you, you attract certain, you are attracted to certain environments and people and you attract well, those people. Well, and that's it. Your, your habitat isn't just your physical habitat, but it, the, the community and the tribe that you yeah. have in that habitat with you. Exactly. And so, We'll just go through a couple of environmental, simple environmental changes or things that you can look at. So, um, chairs and furniture. So, if your place is surround, whether it's your home or your office, is surrounded by comfy chairs and lounges and and very little room on the ground, um, then you're much more likely to be sitting in a chair. <laughs> it's just it's your brain you you always take the path of least resistance basically um and so it's like well that lounge looks really inviting you're much more likely to sit on it um you know we still have a a lounge but it's pushed right back and we've got a whole mat space basically so it's and we've deliberately made it that we don't have a dining table that people can enjoy their food at (laughs) so when people come around they sit on the floor and they eat with us yeah exactly which is foreign to a lot of people but again it's a tiny tiny thing that we've done but passes on to other people when they when they come here and experience it and especially when you've got these mats i mean it's it's a little bit luxury but yeah yeah they're like oh this is kind of cool actually yeah and uh, we got these little mini tables from nick from canada and like just little again it's it's something simple and when i remember when you brought these tables into the house i'm like what are we going to use those for (laughs) and now they're the handiest little tool ever because again it's a it's a tool that encourages you within your habitat to build yeah, that habit oh cool now i can do my work on the ground and i've got a little table it's yeah like, cool sweet it's and it it's just makes it yeah it just makes things easier you reduce the friction and bj and talks about that in his book um it's just that friction you want to reduce friction for the behaviors that you want to do and increase friction for the behaviors that you don't want to do so the environment really facilitates that so yeah it's not about completely getting rid of chairs or furniture it's, you can still we've still got chairs around the place um, and a lounge like i said but it's making it even easier to be doing ground movement basically ground sitting mm. and um we already talked about how ground sitting is very different to sitting in a chair mm. um another environment like we talked about is shoes so if you're constantly spending your time in non-foot shaped shoes that are rigid and cushioned and stiff and heeled and pointed then it's a sedentary environment for your foot and it's going to have effects like it's just going to have effects on you at some point and that doesn't just go for dress shoes or high heels it goes for most modern athletic shoes these days if you look at it 
they aren't foot shaped. Um, it's just that simple. So getting into what we call natural footwear is a, a linchpin there is just putting your envi- foot in an environment that is healthier or promotes more movement. Simple, simple, simple thing. Now, every step you take is promoting more movement or, and obviously getting barefoot as much as you can as well. And we've often, we've, we've talked about this. I mean, you can do all manner of things to look after your feet or to look after your, your balance. Um, but if you don't wear the right shoes most of the time, then it's, it's really, you're pushing uphill. You yeah. Know? Taking one step forward, one step back pretty much yeah. or two steps back. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's, yeah, you might be doing like, yeah, doing your supplement of balance work and footwork, but then you're just going straight back into like, you're releasing the tightness and strengthening a bit, but then you're just weakening and stiffening again through this. It's 16 hours a day. And again, it's like going and having a really good, healthy meal followed by a bowl of ice cream with chocolate sauce on top. For breakfast, lunch yeah. and dinner and you have a salad chucked in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's going to be problems. You can't, you can't just wipe away all that. Or it's like, yeah, having two hours of sleep and then having a half an hour nap and thinking that it's all good. It's that like, it's just, it's just straight up not enough sleep. Yeah. You can't, you can't beat your biology. Um, so yeah, and we talked about, yeah, having a hanging bar is really good. I mean, shoulders... And upper bodies are just made for hanging and it feels great. Once you get used to it, it's, it's actually surprisingly hard when you first start hanging. But if you just get in some daily hanging, your grip strength will be better. Your shoulder mobility will be better. And yeah, everything, everything is just better when you hang frequently. So get something you can hang from. It doesn't have to be an expensive pull-up bar. It can be a pair of gymnastic rings that you hang off, that you sort of hang off something or... Um, yeah, just just figure out something basically. Find something to hang on. Yeah, or go to a go to a park and hang off a tree. <laughs> yeah, even better. Um, which brings us to you know just frequenting local areas that promote promote movement. So we're pretty lucky to have um, a big park right down the end of the street. Down the end of the street, which is awesome, and um, another park close that has uh, sort of uh, I don't know what to, yeah like monkey bar type equipment, like sort of adult playground kind of thing and a gym close by but it's just find areas that promote movement and go to them frequently because you're more likely to move in areas that it's a uh possible to move and be like socially acceptable like yeah okay everyone's down here moving like i'm gonna be moving and if you actually make the effort to go to one of these places then you've committed You've committed to moving. Yeah. So it's all well and good having everything that we've got at home, but we're the same. You know, you can fall into traps where you don't move enough, but as soon as you leave the house and you go down to the park, you've committed to going to move. Yeah. And there's, of course, there's other benefits besides just the movement that you get from being out in the fresh air and sunlight and nature and contact with the earth and, and especially contact with other people as well. Yeah. And so there's all those extra nutri- nutritious benefits. Um, and that we, you know, go into nature as well, go into area, go for a hike, mm-hmm. go, you know, preferably in barefoot or in minimalist shoes, but go out and experience deeper nature, um, find a good trail to do or a waterfall or, you know, something like that. And that really promotes a whole heap of variable movement as well. Go and rock hop or yeah, climb a tree or boulder or something mm-hmm. like that. And 
Again, not all of these things you have to do every day, but it's about stacking all of these things into your life in some way, shape or form. Mm. And then like we talked about, just hanging around people who like to move. Yeah. <laughs> Makes a huge difference. Massive. Because if your friends and family are like, nah, I'd rather just chill and watch TV, you're so much more likely to do that uh, versus you and I. It's like, oh, should we go play Hackmanton? <laughs> or should we, you know, should we go down to the park and chuck a frisbee should we you know do it you know we do, do our morning walk we do um some like some training some exercise afterwards and and yeah it's just a lot better when someone else and we've noticed now that we're both on a better routine or like a, a more similar routine we get so much more of that in and we feel so much better so much better we comment on it all the time it's like dude it feels good to be in this movement mm. routine um so yeah the people you live with or if you you know you can't always can't necessarily change someone but often if you start leading by example then other people get interested and they're like oh yeah i want to do a bit of that as well we saw it with the move and play session last weekend that we held at uh new farm park you know just being able to bring all of these people together into a park and get exposed to different types of movements you know get some tools out get some beams and slack lines and hackies and yeah and people just go oh cool there's stuff to move with stuff to play with and it was really it was really really cool to see people who'd never met, people from your community who you'd connected with, uh, mm. uh, mostly digitally, all of them, um, to bring them together and then see them interacting with strangers uh, yeah. and their shared, their shared, I guess, reason for being there was to move and yeah. to play. It's so powerful. And then everyone's chatting up a storm as well while they're playing. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's really how humans connect is through movement. And that's why all these, that's why there's such a, awesome community movement culture brewing now with you know the i guess crossfit's an easy example of mm. like places where you don't just chuck your earphones in and you do your workout it's like you you go there for the community as well as the movement and the, the two combined are actually the super super powerful so the environmental like we said is kind of like the linchpin because if your environment is set up in that way, then it, you don't actually need a lot of willpower or discipline to move. It's, it's a lot easier. Like we said, it reduces the friction and it becomes a lot more fun um, and enjoyable to move. And therefore, it's not, yeah, it's not a chore. It's, it's not you going, I should, I should go and exercise. So that, the, once you sort of figure out your environment or like, yeah, start making those changes to your environment, then the behaviors kind of flow, but the behavior is basically living a movement centric lifestyle. That's probably the biggest one. And that essentially comes down to what we talked about designing your environment, but also just, you know, choosing to walk to the shops or, um, you know, park a bit further away from work and walking to work or taking the stairs when there's an elevator or what, just finding, literally seeking out little bits of movement rather than avoiding throughout your day, rather than avoiding it. It's like, it's so simple. And I, I was almost, when I was, I was there, I just remember at some point I was like, ah, oh, yeah, stairs, elevator, it doesn't make that much difference, but it really does add up. Mm, definitely. <laughs> if you make that choice consistently day to day, even if it's twice a day, but over a year, that's, <laughs> that's like 700 more it's flights big. of stairs that you've taken. So it does add up and, and just having that mindset of, I want to find ways to promote movement in my life will make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I feel that having a movement practice is is key as well because 
it's not just, I think intentional, um, sorry, it's like the lifestyle, life movement centric life is awesome. But then especially because our, a lot of time has been spent sedentary for most of us because that's just the culture. Um, then we do need to unwind a level of dysfunction that is accumulated in our body, level of stiffness, tightness, weakness, and so on. And so having a, a movement practice that allows us to do that in an intentional way. Yeah. Um, so first of all, building a foundational capacity of strength and mobility and balance and these characteristics that allow, they you, allow to, you to then build your skills. Yeah, yeah. So they allow you to be able to tolerate the movement that you would want to be able to tolerate. And so, Mm. yeah, say for example, on a beam, it's all well and good for me to leap on a beam and be like, wow, this is fun. Like amazing. My feet feel great on this beam to someone who's been in shoes and orthotics, um, all their life or for most of their life and hasn't ever worked on balance. They might hop on a beam and be like, Whoa, this hurts. This sucks. I feel terrible on this beam because I can't do it for, Mm. for anything. So it's, if you build a, a, a foundation first of, um, you know, strengthen the feet and you mobilize the feet and you do work on some balance just on flat ground and you do some squats and things that increase that capacity. Then the skill acquisition of getting onto a beam is a lot, you're going to have a lot better time. You're going to have a lot less pain and discomfort. Um, and, and then you, eventually a lot, that leads a lot in, more fun. Yeah, that's it. It leads into the, the ability to then play with that movement. Yeah. Which is the end goal, which should be the end goal. Really? Yeah. It's just, yeah, you work, like we talked about in the last podcast, work hard so you can play harder. It's the play is just, because now I can jump on a beam for 10 minutes. I get an epic sort of quote unquote workout for my feet and my hips and my essentially full body because I'm moving all in all these different variable ways. But it's fun as, and I, it's like a dance. It doesn't feel like, it's a, it doesn't feel like work. And that comes back then to the, I guess, the positive mental impacts of that movement nutrition that you're getting into your life is then boosting how you feel because yeah. you're now able to play with that movement and enjoy it. And and that becomes the opposite of that cycle. It's a positive cycle now. So you, you are act more active, which gives you better confidence in yourself, which gives you more ability to move and and try different things and then which makes you more active it's all just fuels itself and so it can i know when you're in that negative cycle it can seem like oh like i'm just going to keep banging my head against the wall but if you find the right guidance something that some kind of program or guidance that resonates with you and and that you can um yeah believe in or you know find that sort of level of faith in and understand that there's going to be hiccups along the way and understand what to do when you get those hiccups, then it's, it is possible for anyone to improve or at least at least fi- get a better cycle going. Yeah, it's not going to change overnight. but And if you fall off that bike one or two times and, and you get back on, it doesn't matter. Exactly. And that's where the power of community really comes in is that you've, you know that there's other people going through the same thing They've been through the same thing. So when they see you fall off, then it's like, oh, that's all right. That's normal. That happened to me too. This is what I do. And, and we've seen it with our own journey and documenting our movement. You know, we, we, we often say, okay, we, we, let's get into it. We're going to 
do this every so single day times. and then life does get in the way and yeah. things come up and routine get gets off. broken but it's about getting back to that routine and not getting frustrated with the fact that you jumped off the bike again get back on and just yeah yeah, yeah. don't judge yourself don't beat yourself up just go oh, okay treat it as oh that failed because of this cool all right i know that now and i'll try again and sometimes you just learn the same lesson over and over and over again <laughs> and that's okay too yeah. and it's all about if you're on that train and you've got people around you who are also on that train and supporting you to keep getting back on then that's just huge and, and that's really what we want to do with the tfc community is is really facilitate that supportive environment for people who want to get into this sort of more barefoot lifestyle and this these play-based fun things is you know given that pathway and that journey to you know find the right practitioners or find the right resources that um, help them get from where they are to where they want to be and the right tools yeah and the right tools and certain tools will attract different people but it's it's about finding what works for you and making that work in with your life and, and not getting beaten and, and down in the dumps when it doesn't quite work or it doesn't come off and, and you feel like you're not getting anywhere. Exactly. And so if you are finding that you're struggling with some kind of pain or condition or um, you, know, you really want to get moving but you keep sort of running into the same obstacles, mm. then I think it is important to get guidance and to get support. And so that's what, like I said, we're trying to... We're actually growing an awesome community of practitioners now in Australia. We've got people all over the country in the major cities who are like-minded and you know very, very keen to help their communities. Mm. And so we want to be that sort of um, conduit yeah. to, to help people find the right communities for them. And, and so we really believe that we can help, um, you know, especially when it comes to feet, but really it's, it's whole body. Um, we've got practitioners with lots of different experience in different areas of the body and, and they all take a holistic approach. And so, yeah, just get in touch. We, we're really keen to hear from anyone who's struggling or wants to get more involved in this kind of practice and this kind of um, lifestyle. And we would love to hear from you if you if you are keen. Yeah, because we want you to come on the journey with us. Yeah. And we have workshops. Like we said, we have workshops and, and movement play sessions and things like that that can be a good little toe dipper, so to speak. <laughs> um, and yeah, they'll all be announced. So yeah, we, I mean, Instagram's probably the best place to, to get in touch with us and, and uh, we'll link some, some helpful resources in the show notes as well if you want to check them out. Um, that pretty much sums it up i think that wraps it up yeah so i hope you found that helpful and next week will be all about natural movement we'll delve deeper into that and yeah hope you have a great rest of your day thanks guys cheers <laughs>